For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to another episode of Revolution Recap, coming to you after the Revolution's 2-1 home loss to the Los Angeles Galaxy. The Revolution fell two goals down within 15 minutes thanks to defensive miscues and poor positioning leading to easy direct soccer from the Galaxy. The Revs had plenty of chances to score after that, but didn't get one back until Carles Hill made it 2-1 in the 82nd minute, and then the team from there was unable to find an equalizer. I'm Sean Donahue, and joining me today is Greg Johnstone. Greg, how's it going? Going good, Sean. You know, I had a nice weekend. I went to a bachelor party up in northern Maine, got some golfing in. It was a wonderful, wonderful weekend. But then I made the mistake of going to the Revolution game and uh, watching the first 20 minutes of this match. Uh, now I unfortunately have to talk about it as well. So a um, bit of a damper uh, and a sour end to the weekend. But uh, overall, I, I can't complain about how uh, things off the field are going for me. So. Yeah, you know my my Spurs are still unbeaten, so it was a good weekend for me. But then uh, the Revs game was was uh, pretty pretty bad. <laughs> um, but I know we have a lot to talk about with this one. Uh, I think we'll just jump right into our takeaways, which are brought to you by our friends at the New England Rebellion Supporters Group. Be sure to check them out on Twitter at any rebellion and on their website anyrebellion.org. Uh, I'm sure they weren't too happy with this result. Uh, but Greg, what, what was your takeaway from this one? Well, I. I feel like I'm either jinxing or reverse jinxing things when it comes to this team's defensive performance because a few weeks ago, you know, six, eight weeks ago, I complained a lot about this team and the mental errors they were making and how shaky the back line looked and how they were letting in goals that really should not have happened whatsoever. And then, you know, in the blink of an eye, the Revs came back and had four straight clean sheets. They looked rock solid. They played very, very well. Um, they were, you know, dealing with pressure very well, um, just very, very sturdy and solid in the back. Uh, and so I praised them for a few weeks. And then the last couple of weeks has happened. I'm not totally sure what's going on with this team. Both of these goals were piss poor, in my opinion. I'm not entirely sure who to blame because everything was just a complete mess on both of these goals both of them direct long balls uh both of them threw passes seemingly right down the the, the pike of the the back line um in the first one and i think brad feldman said on the broadcast that he blamed Dewan jones that Dewan jones was pinched too far up i'm not sure if mccoon was supposed to drop mccoon was playing in the defensive midfield uh which by the way sean you owe me a beer uh because our listeners might remember that we made a bit of a bet uh that mccoon would whether or not he would play in the defensive midfield. Uh, so uh, that was a very easy bet. Uh, point for Greg. Uh, Greg won, Sean zero. Uh, based, based on last night, he shouldn't have played in the defensive midfield. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, thankfully the bet wasn't, uh, you know, he'll, he plays defensive midfield well. Uh, so I'm not sure if he was supposed to drop back on that particular play, if there was a bit of a cross-up. Um, but, you know, Kessler was kind of left for dead there. Dewan Jones and, and Petrovic were kind of left for dead there. Um, just seems like someone rotated in the wrong area, and there was just a ton of space um, down, down that right side. And then, what, like 10 minutes later, almost the same thing. 
um, I think it was Farrell this time who just didn't drop back soon enough. And you can kind of see Kessler right before the second, you know, that, that pass is made. He's pointing to his left kind of to say, here comes the pass. Uh, we we got to get prepped for this one. Uh, and Farrell doesn't drop fast enough. So, yeah, really, really poor on both of those plays. And I think Bruce Arena had a quote yesterday saying something to the effect of, this team has to reflect on the fact that the 20 minutes they were poor cost them for the 70 minutes they were good or something to that effect. Uh, and that, that's totally true. I, I think if you look at this 90 minutes as a whole, the Revs had one or two real bad mental mistakes in the back line. And that was kind of it. It didn't really matter what they did from then on. They did have chances. They were creating pressure. Dewan Jones hit off the post. Botang had a shot that might have been able to go in. Bakun had a, a nice long shot at the top of the box that was saved. Um, obviously, Carlos Hill got one back, and, and that was a, a pretty crazy play. But um, there, there were some chances throughout this game that you kind of thought that the Revs might get one back. And it really took them a long time just to get back with striking distance. They really dug themselves a hole they just could not get out of. Um, and it, it all goes back to the mental mistakes that we saw in the first three months of the season. And then we had four months of really, really solid work. And then for whatever reason, this defense has just regressed back to where it was in the first half of the season. So um, I guess my key takeaway is if this is the defense the rest of the season, I'm really not hopeful uh, in regards to the playoffs. And then what whatever happens into the playoffs, they really need to turn around and find that form they had a few weeks ago. Well, and I guess, too, the question is, were we giving them too much credit during that stretch? Because we talk so much about Petrovic and his phenomenal advanced stats. But part of the reason his advanced stats were so good was that there there was a lot of chances that he was facing. He just happened to be making some really good saves and keeping the ball out of the back of the net. So did, did we kind of ignore some of the weaknesses in the defense that always existed because Petrovic was kind of bailing him out? I mean, I wouldn't say we ignored those they, I mean, we, we talked about this team needing a center back all, all summer window, didn't we? Um, I mean, I, I think we never felt strongly confident in this back line. We didn't last year either. And I think when we saw their peak performance in this past year, maybe we did credit them a little bit too much. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I don't know. It, it seems to me that this back line is regressing more and more over time. So maybe we have been overrating them a little bit. As I say, Sean, I, th I think you're with me. I think we both thought uh, an improvement in center back was needed somewhere. I don't think McCoon is the improvement in center back. I'm not completely sold on him so far. I wonder if this is a spot they're going to have to address in the summer or sorry, in the winter transfer window, because the Kessler Farrell combination, you know, I like them both as people, but I, I think it's pretty clear that, you know, if you want this team to improve. You need to get more solid in the back because Matt Turner's and George A. Petrovic's, they can only bail you out so much. Yeah, I mean, this team clearly needs a kind of a third starting level center back um, to both compete with, with Kessler and Farrell for minutes and to, to fill in when they're injured because we've seen from, I mean, Farrell's 30. He's not getting any younger. And Kessler you know, has missed basically half the season for various reasons. So, um, you know, even if those two are good enough when they're healthy and the chemistry's there, um, if you're only getting that 50% of the games a season, that's, that's clearly not going to work if you don't have a good third center back. And I, I think we, I agree. I think, you know, we haven't seen enough of McCoon to say that, and he didn't play center back in this game. Um, but I, I, I tend to think that he's not the guy based on, you know, what his people has, who watched him play for his previous teams have said about him. Um, and you know, John Bell may be a good fourth center back, but I don't think he's, he's that guy either. And, you know, not, don't, no need to get into Omar Gonzalez today, but, um, yeah, no, I know I agree. It's just, 
it's disappointing because there it, there was that stretch where they had the four straight shutouts where you thought maybe they'd figured things out. Um, but you know, based on based on this game and based on how they did the past two games without Kessler, uh, clearly not the case. Um, but you know, that all kind of goes to to my takeaway and when we're talking about McCoon and kind of what happened last night. Um, you know, part of what happened last night was there just wasn't the chemistry there between, uh, in particular, McCoon and the and the back line. Um, and because of that, my takeaway is sort of that, you know, when you look at this team now, um, there's a lot of guys that could help them that have been injured, but I think it's too late now, you know, with seven games left of the season, Rioni hasn't built the chemistry with the team. He hasn't enough minutes. He's not back yet. Um, Ismael, who I think is going to be really good for the revolution. You know, he's not back from his injury yet and ready to perform. Um, is seven games enough for him to integrate with the squad and figure things out? Um, probably not at this point. McCoon, I think we saw in this game, tried at center midfield, at defensive midfield. Um, you know, we talked about this before. He hasn't played much defensive midfield in MLS, if, if at all. Um, so if you want that to be his position, it's going to take some time to figure that out. And I think in this game, you know, Kessler and, and him didn't communicate very well. Um, and Jones and him didn't communicate pretty much the whole left side of the defense and the left side of the defensive midfield didn't communicate very well. Um, and that's really what led to, to both of those goals. You know, in the first goal, I think McCoon kind of had the guy that ended up making the run. He you know pushed forward to, to chase the ball instead of the man, probably thinking he's playing defensive midfield. There's got to be a defender behind him to carry that, you know, to, to follow the one runner forward. Um, and then the defenders seemed to think that he was going to track the guy. So it's just, it's just the chemistry is not there. And these are the mistakes that you expect to see in March and expect to get figured out at the beginning of the season. But now we're into late August, about to be September, seven games left. And, you know, several key guys that are expected to be starters for this team have barely played. Uh, there just doesn't seem to be enough time yet left yet to figure everything out. And, uh, you know, we saw that with McCoon last night. And I think we're going to see that, unfortunately, with uh, Rioni as he comes back with his limited minutes that he's had so far. And Ismael, who who hasn't played at all yet for the revolution. Um, and, you know, now we're seeing other injuries to prop up like Captum, who had finally gotten back into the starting lineup. Um and again, it's not to mention Barrero either, who seemed to be finding some chemistry with the team, but then he's been out for, for several weeks. So it just seems like this team is kind of run up against the clock um, with all the injuries that they've had and, and getting these guys integrated with seven games left um, with who even knows when they're actually going to be back seems like uh, quite the stretch at this point. And it seems like every game they're doing something new, which I don't want to say it's desperation because I don't think it's desperation. But it seems like Bruce is trying to figure out the right combinations here and there. And sometimes it's worked. Like the Orlando game, it worked great. The game a couple, you know, against TFC, they, they pulled out a draw. That's a really, really tough point. There are sometimes these changes and Bruce's tweaks are working nicely. And then McCoon in the midfield last night doesn't work so well. Um, you know, maybe that's a learning experience. But seven games less left in the year, you're kind of hoping – that we, we kind of have an idea of what the starting 11 is going to look like going into the postseason. And you're right. How, how much is Brioni going to be healthy? Is Barrero going to be healthy? It seems like Barrero is doing a lot of traveling. Um, you know, who knows if he's, you know, fully fit, if they think he's going to come back this season. It's all confusing because we don't get really any transparency in terms of how severe these injuries are. So, you know, it it's it's very confusing to try to project and figure out what this team is going to look like in the playoffs and and over the next five to seven games, which are becoming more and more important as time goes on. We're entering September and the Revs need to, you know, hurdle some teams here in the standings or else they're going to miss the playoffs. And the, the lineup they put out last night is not a playoff team. 
it's just not a playoff team. Justin Renex as a sole striker with uh, Tommy McNamara up top and, and Christian McCoon in the central midfield. It's not a playoff team, and there needs to be more time to gel and kind of build some chemistry. And I'm not so much worried about Gustavo Bo coming back. He looked pretty decent in his 45 minutes last night. I thought the Revs were a lot more dangerous with him out in there in the, the second half. And I also, in case we don't come back to this point, uh, I, I applaud Bruce Arena for getting him out there immediately to start the second half down two to nothing. I, I think it was very, very apparent you got another weapon onto the field, and this was too important of a game to ease him back into it. Um, but Barrero, Brioni, um, uh, Tajori Shradi, uh, which you mentioned, um, kind of the newer players that don't really have a rapport with the Revs, you know, are you going to be able to put on two more attacking players and, you know, everything kind of clicks? I highly doubt it. So I, I, I'm hopeful that we get to see these players jump back into it and, and kind of come in seamlessly. But there's probably going to be some rough waters and it's really coming at a bad time. Well, and on top of all that, too, the schedule is so packed right now that there's not really that much that many training sessions between games to figure things out. So, I mean, they played this game Sunday, and I, I think we should mention that they probably could have played this game Saturday if it wasn't for Country Fest at Gillette. So you kind of see where the priorities at Gillette Stadium are, uh, and I think that kind of screws over the Revs to have this tight Sunday to Wednesday schedule um, because of that. Um, but now they got a quick turnaround on Wednesday. They got another game, um, I believe, next Sunday, and then um, they got six days between games, but then there's another week where they have another, I believe a, a Tuesday game, I think, um, against Houston. Um, and then another game that weekend. So up until kind of the September, uh, international window, there's not really a break. And, and, you know, the September international window, there's only two games after that. So they're really running out of time. And, you know, you mentioned Gustavo Bo coming back and playing 45 minutes. I'm glad they were able to kind of push him to play 45 minutes, but, you know, given his, injury history and given the fact that the revs are playing you know three games a week multiple times going forward are you going to be able to start him you know all of those games as he comes back i don't think i don't think you should i don't well maybe you have to to make the playoffs uh, maybe that's the priority um over avoiding injuries but i think you you risk too much doing that with him given his injury history so there's just a lot of kind of moving parts and a very tight schedule and a lot of guys that um haven't had a lot of minutes with this team yet that you you need to play key roles if you're going to do anything in the playoffs so um, I, I just think they're running out of time, and it's it's unfortunate because there's a lot of quality on this team, but uh, you know, the injuries and, it, and to some extent, it's you know you can't give too many excuses to Bruce because to some extent, you know, when you're trading for a guy like Ismail that you already know is injured, you have to expect and live with those things. But um, it just seems like the Revs have kind of dug themselves into a hole, and there's not enough time to figure everything out to actually make a run at this point. No, I, I agree 100%. And I think at the beginning of the season, we kind of felt, well, there's going to be some transition with Books and Turner leaving. They're going to have bring in some new players. It seems like the players that they brought in to kind of fix that first wave in Legette and Josie, it's almost like they need a second wave to replace the first wave right. because their offseason was so bad. Um, and, and on that point, well, I'll get to that point in a second. But um, so so it's almost like they need to redo the beginning of the season and they don't have the time to, to figure out uh, what works. And the way the style they're playing right now, too, if everyone comes back healthy, they're playing a different style. They're not going to be playing super defensively with center backs everywhere, or AJ De La Garza or, or Christian McCoon in the midfield. Um, so they're going to have to mix up their style and their personnel. Um, it's it, it's an uphill battle. But um, the, the one other thing, too, Sean, we were, we were talking about this a little bit last night, you know, watching Tommy McNamara kind of push up and play wing and force, and that means that McCoon needs to move to the midfield. Sure, it'd be nice to have uh, Sebastian Legette, uh, you know, even if he is not super effective. It certainly seems like they're lacking attacking options right now. 
And, you know, I, I think that's one trade that we've talked about a few times. They're paying his salary through the remainder of the season. I know they wanted his salary off the books for 2023. I think that we believe that's the motivation for this trade. As you said a few times in previous episodes, you could have moved him in, you know, at the end of the season, even if you're taking less of a return, I'm sure you could have found a trade partner to take Sebastian Legette at the end of the year. Um, they moved on from him. DeJore Shirati is, is not healthy. They're bringing in Nacho Heel, which I can't imagine he makes much of an impact. That seems to me just to be an extended trial, uh, if anything. I, I don't expect him to make any real impact. We've talked about that before. So I don't know. That's another move that, again, I guess 2023 was the main driver here. But I watch this lack of offense and and really struggling to put anything together in the first half, and I say I'm not, I'm not totally sure why Sebastian Legette is not here. Yeah, well, and, and you mentioned you know, McNamara having to play at wings. I think if McNamara was playing where McCoon was playing next to Poster, I, I don't think the communication issues that we saw on either of those first two goals happen, and the Revolution probably are in a much better position, uh, not down 2-0 15 minutes into this game. Um, so, and that's a direct impact of the jet being gone and of the guys that they brought in not being healthy. Um, and again, they knew trading for Ismael that he was already hurt. So maybe they didn't know the extent of it, but he's been hurt most of the season. He was hurt when they traded for him. Um, so yeah, I, it's, it's frustrating to watch, you know, given, given kind of the self-inflicted wounds and some of the stuff, uh, in the transfer market. But, you know, I, I think with the out there and McNamara able to play as this, you know, central midfielder next to Polster, it's a completely different game. Agreed 100%. And one other thing, too, because I don't think we'll come back to it. I just want to note, it's very telling to me that you're putting out Botang, you're putting out uh, Tommy McNamara as kind of the attacking midfielders. And they're not necessarily – I don't really want to call them wingers because at times they're pinching into the center when um, the, the wingbacks are coming up. So they're, they're kind of moving in and out uh, of the center and out to the wing. But um, I, I will say it's very telling to me that Damian Rivera is not getting minutes right now because – that seems to be a player that I thought played pretty decently at the beginning of the year. You want to learn a little bit more about him. There seems to be minutes up for grabs, and for whatever reason, Bruce Arena is just not going to him right now. So I don't know if he's fallen off in Bruce Arena's book and the coaching staff's book, but that is one name that I've noticed is not really getting any playing time when, in my mind, he probably should be. Yeah, and they had another window, another window to bring in a sub in this game. So they could have even brought him on really late when they were searching for that equalizing goal. But uh, I kind of think it kind of speaks to where he's fallen in, in Bruce Arena's mind, given his lack of minutes um, over the past several weeks. So yeah, it's it's, it's very interesting that I, I thought he had some some good moments for the Revolution earlier in the year when he got a chance, and now he seems to be just completely buried. Um, and of course, if everyone was healthy, I think he'd be even more buried. So. Yeah, it's 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 telling that he was the one offensive option left on the bench at the end of the night when you know they could have made another sub. Um, we did get a lot of questions. I want to jump into those before we do. Um, I want to take a quick minute to talk about the sponsor of this podcast, Galaco Kits. Galaco Kits is the go-to place to bring unique vintage jerseys to your home. The passion for the beautiful game doesn't have borders, and neither does the selection. And if you head to GalacoKits.com today, you can get 15% off your order using the code RevsRecap. That's RevsRecap at checkout for 15% off your order at Galaco Kits. If you're very frustrated with the revolution, there's a lot of other options out there. If you have a team in England you support, plenty of Plenty of options there. If you're getting excited for the World Cup, there's some great vintage U.S. men's national team kits. Uh, as we've discussed before, the U.S. men's national team kits for this World Cup look horrible. Um, so you might want a vintage one, and you can get one at Galaco Kits and save 15% using code REVSRECAP. All right, a lot of questions in this one. Uh, Phil Fleischer asks, what happened to the Revs home record form? Uh, they're 5-5-3, five, five, and three, not as bad as the 2020 COVID year, but really unimpressive. People used to cite the turf as the Revs home advantage, so what now? 
Yeah, that's a very good point. I don't think it's necessarily a home field advantage thing because the crowds have been actually, I think, a little bit better um, this year as opposed to previous years. Um, Tanner Rebello is kind of on top of that. I I believe every time I see him post about it, their their attendance is a little bit up compared to previous years. So um, I, I don't think it's the crowd or the stadium. I think this team just isn't that good. And we talked about, you know, mental mistakes and poor defending. And when you concede goals, I don't think it really matters if you're home or away. Everything's going to be just a little bit tougher. So, um, yeah, five, five and three. I mean, that's not horrible, but you, you need three points at home against weaker teams. And, you know, I know the L.A. Galaxy are, you know, they have some star players. They, they certainly have some big names. But, you know, this isn't a team that, you know, they're traveling across the country and they really shouldn't be stealing those goals from you. Uh, and they really shouldn't be taking all three points. They were leveling points uh, with the Revs coming into this game. So, you know, this is a Western Conference team that's traveling to Foxborough and finding a way to win. Um, I think that's just a matter of the quality of the team and, and just the performance of the team. And the performances just haven't been there. Going back to the beginning of this year, um, there's really no reason for Real Salt Lake to come in here during a blizzard and to steal three goals in the last 20 minutes or whatever that was. So Fortress Foxborough is not a thing this year. And again, I know five five and three is not a you know horrible record, but but I should I should clarify five five and three is the European way of putting it, the way he listed it, which is which is uh, win draws loss. But it's, so it's really not that bad. It's five five wins, three losses, and five draws. Just to clarify for those that don't don't know the ordering, um, given that they do it differently here than they do in Europe. Yeah, so I, I'm I'm looking at it here, so I'm I'm kind of yes. Uh, but yeah, three three losses at home in thirteen. I'll put it that way. Um, you know, that, that doesn't look horrible, but five wins in 13 is a pretty poor home record. And, you know, the, the, it's just been a failure this year. And I believe he also had a follow-up comment that said that the nine-game home unbeaten record, unbeaten streak or something like that is, is overrated. Um, and that's true. Uh, I, I think the unbeaten streaks of this season, I think we, we talked about it at the time, were pretty unimpressive and pretty flat and not too exciting. It was a lot of draws. Um just a lot of unsatisfying points slowly being collected here and there. And as a result, we're, we're going to have to really push and get some people healthy towards o- over the next month. Cause I don't know if you're, you're not winning games at home. I don't know. It, it's going to be very, very tough, but yeah, Fo- Fortress Foxborough is a total myth this year. Well, and we should mention too, the galaxy aren't a good road team. They'd won three out of 11 road games this season. They had lost four straight road games going into this game. And like you mentioned, a West coast trip is never easy for anybody. So it, this was a game that was ripe for the picking for the revolution. They should have, they needed to get three points out of this one and they didn't, um, it, you know, it's disappointing to see the revolution be kind of so poor at home because, you know, like you said, the revolution have used the turf to their advantage in the past. Teams don't like coming here to play on the turf. Um, and the revs are used to it because they play their home games here, but uh, it's just the, the team's not good enough this year. And that's why they haven't been able to take advantage. And I think when you see kind of goals that the galaxy scored on direct play where, where the revolution, you know, weren't organized that, you know, maybe they benefited from the turf a bit and, and those two plays. So yeah, it's, it's interesting and, and disappointing, but Last night was a bad road team against a, a Revolution team that used to be good at home, and you would have liked to have seen the Revolution get three points from a team traveling from the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ryan Duplicia is very, very negative. He says, the play continues like this. It's going to be a long week. I'm sure the team feels the same. Let's hope they can pick it up Wednesday and again on Sunday. Uh, I, I, I would agree if the play continues like it did in the first 15 minutes, it's going to be a long week. Yep. No, agreed 100%. I mean, uh, and we talked a few weeks ago about where the Revs need to get points. And the magic number, I think, for me is 50. Usually, if you get 50 points, you make the playoffs. Um, 
this was one game I had circled as a need three points uh, and they didn't get it. And another one that is need three points is Chicago. So I know they won't be fully healthy, but whatever lineup goes out there, it needs to be three points. I don't think you can drop the Galaxy and Chicago games, you know, coming away with one point. That's an absolute disaster. And then you're going into a, a six point game with New York City. I know New York City is a, a bit higher up in the Eastern Conference. So there's no way we're catching them. But um, this is a very, very important home stretch. And they're starting it off on a very, very sour note. Sour note. Uh, and, and this is the time they need to be collecting points. Well, Bruce, on his 98.5 interview, had said the Revs needed to get seven points out of these three games. So that's already off the table. So I think it's they absolutely need to get six points out of the last two games of this this homestand. Um, and it's not going to be easy against New York City FC um, with, the, with the final game, kind of the homestand. I don't know if you saw the clip. Uh, and, and for those of our listeners who haven't seen it, go to Sam Mitten's Twitter. Uh, but Sam asked yesterday... Um, you know, how important are the next two games, especially after he said uh, that they need seven points. Uh, and Bruce kind of said something like, well, do the math. Uh, we can't get seven points now, so we need six points. So uh, very, very Bruce answer. Uh, I love the interactions between those two. I'm sure Minton is one of Bruce's favorites on the beat. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, kind of says it well. We need six points here. Uh, we big, big missed opportunity Sunday night. So um, hopefully they make up for it with two more wins uh, over the next few days. Well, there, there was lots of talk um, a few weeks ago about the games in hand the Revolution have. They don't have any games in hand anymore, so they, they've, they've wasted those. They, they, the, the margin of error has gone down significantly over the past two games. The Montreal game you could throw out. They, they had so many lineup changes. That was just a wreck. There's, there's a few games you need to just throw in the trash and ignore. Um, but, you know, we've had a, a handful of those, it seems like, that are just throw them away and move on. And um, there's no margin of error. They need to pick it up right now. Yeah, I mean, last last night definitely wasn't one of the throwaway games because they, they needed to get three points even with the guys that were missing. Uh, Swerve our says, do you think it's time to pack it in for the season and let the kids play and hopefully spend some money in the January transfer window or keep grinding it out and hopefully get in the playoffs? Feels like it's time to regroup. So what they do in the January window is unrelated to whatever they do the rest of the season. So I'll just throw that out. We, we, we I'm sure we'll talk about roster decisions uh, at the end of the year. And I'll, I'll just address the pack it in and play the kids narrative, which I've seen a little bit and I don't fully understand what the benefit of that would be to waste a potential playoff spot. Even if it's a seven seed, you know, just getting a ticket. If everyone does get healthy and you hit the lottery and, you know, the, the revs made a push to the Eastern conference final a few years ago and lost by a goal to the eventual MLS cup champions, Columbus. Um, and they were an eight seed. So if you can sneak in as a seven or a six seed, um, you still have a chance. You're still alive. Uh, you also, I believe, get allocation money for making the playoffs. I believe that used to be the case. Um, I'd have to check up the rules. So um, that, I think, is the the argument that even if you don't feel great about MLS Cup chances, which I'm not, um, and even if you think that the team might miss the playoffs, and I'm, I'm very much in that camp, I'm not totally sure what the motivation to pack it in is. Now, he says play your kids. So I'm guessing that means Noel Buck and Esmir. I'm, I'm assuming that's what he means. Maybe he means Damian Rivera, who is not getting playing time, and, and that's a little bit different. But in terms of Noel Buck and Esmir, especially for Noel Buck, I think they're rotation pieces now. I, I think you could make the case that you can implement them in the game and help them develop now and still go for it. Noel Buck has been pretty good. I know we're only dealing with like 100 minutes or something like that. Um, but he, he looks fine. And that's there's a lot to be said too about throwing in these 17 year old kids into a playoff race um, with, you know, grown adults. And, and, you know, that's, that's tough. 
um, when you're the youngest guy out there and you have to play a level up than that what you what you're used to and you're playing in high pressure situations really out of need. And I think Noel Buck has done amazing. Um, again, low bar, um, but he should be a substitute the rest of the year, um, especially when they're lacking bodies. Esmir, I think, is a little bit more raw, so I think this might be a little bit more of a case for him to put him in the game and, and see what he has. Um, and then Damian Rivera, I guess, is the, the one person that would benefit more from packing it in, quote-unquote. Um, but I don't – there's seven games. Even if you start Damian Rivera for seven games, I don't think Damian Rivera and Esmir's development over seven games, which I don't think will be that much, um, is going to be worth tanking and missing the playoffs. And outside of that, I don't see any other benefit to tanking. I don't think the ninth overall pick in the super draft or whatever is worth anything, um, you know, compared to 11 or 12. Uh, it's not like the NBA where teams are actively tanking to, to move up in the draft. I don't, I don't really buy into that. So um, I don't know why there is that mentality of let's just give up. Um, I, I, and I don't mean to insult the person that asked this question, but I think that's kind of a weak mentality to, to just kind of give up, uh, cause things aren't going your way. So, you know, things are looking bad. I, I, and, and I know we'll talk about the panic meter here in a little bit, like it's certainly getting up there, but I, I don't fully understand how, w- why we would think the pros outweigh the cons in terms of putting out a non-competitive lineup, which, I mean, I, I guess we've kind of been doing that. But I, I think if you get Bo back uh, and you get Frioni back and you get Barrera back, uh, you certainly play them. Um, maybe they, they want to rest Carlos Hill and, and make sure he's healthy. Maybe they're worried about his injury history. That was the other thing I, I was thinking about. But um, if there's another argument to what benefit there would be to packing it in, uh, it, it hasn't occurred to me. I, I'm a little confused to why we would do that. Yeah, I'm with you. And I mean, yes, things look bleak right now, but realistically, the Revs are two points out of the playoffs. Um, so it's it's seven games left. That's definitely attainable, um, even even as bad as things are right now. Um, so I, I'm with you. And, you know, the other thing, too, is that there aren't that many kids, per se, on the Revolutions roster outside of you know Buck and Esmir. And when you're talking about, you know, Rivera, Dylan Barrero is less than a year older than Rivera. So where, where do you draw the line of, of kids? Um, and I think the, you know, the two of them are kind of directly competing for playing time too, at this point, especially if you're factoring Esmer in there. Um, and he, he needs to get integrated into the team too, cause he's a big part of the team's future. So I think he needs more minutes, um, as well. And, you, you know, looking towards next year, McCoon is, you know, 22, if he's gonna, you know, his minutes are helpful too, if he's going to be a long-term part of the team. And if Ismael gets healthy, you know, I think getting him integrated with the team now is helpful. So, um, yes, getting these young guys some minutes is good. And, you know, Bruce has been getting them more minutes lately, which I think is great. Um, I think, like you said, no buck is part of the rotation now and should continue to get more minutes. And, you know, Esmir hopefully will get some minutes too. But uh, throwing the towel in doesn't make any sense and packing it in at this point. Uh, the, the, honestly, he says playing the kids, which, again, I, I think I'm high on Buck and I'm high on Esmir. And I think they should be playing regardless of, you know, what the strategy is. They should have some sort of role down the stretch. Um, I think if, let's say, the Revs get mathematically eliminated – and let's say they rest Carlos Hill and they rest Bo and, you know, there, there's no there's no point pushing and they're playing meaningless games. I, I think the guys that would benefit from that the most is McCoon. Maybe you see McCoon over Farrell or Kessler to see if he's a center back that you want starting in 23. I, I think maybe Maciel, um, John Bell, you know, guys that I think they're on the fringe right now, whether or not their options are going to be picked up. I, I think those are the guys that would benefit the most, because, as I say, I think if we're talking Esmir and Noel Buck. Uh, I, I think they should be playing in some way 
one way or another. Again, not 90 minutes, so I, th- I think maybe you'd get him more minutes that way. But I don't think the positives in developing those two players over seven games is worth a, a potential playoff spot and a lottery ticket in the, the Eastern Conference playoffs. No, I, I agree, especially given the fact that the Revis core is not that young and there's only so many more years you're going to get out of peak Carlyus heel. And there's only so many more years you're going to get out of Gustavo bow, which um, might just be one more year given his contract and given his age. So yeah, I, I just don't think he can throw that away. Um, and there's ways to play the kids without kind of throwing that away. And I think we've seen that recently and, and hopefully we'll continue to see that. Mm-hmm. The anime stoner had a few questions. One was, should Gustavo bow have started? Uh, I, again, I don't know his health level. I'm glad he came in at the beginning of the, second half I, I think that it was very obvious down two goals you needed him out there as soon as possible and even if the script called for him to play 25 30 minutes he needed to push him um my my guess is that bruce doesn't trust him to be 90 minutes fit and with three straight games at home um in eight days or whatever it is uh i, I i'm sure they didn't want to throw everything on bow in the first game so i can make an argument for it um if he could handle it uh but i, I think there's a scenario where Bo goes out there 60 minutes in he's calling for someone to sub him out and the revs need a goal and so i i i don't hate him starting this one on the bench yeah i'm with you on that i think that you know again given the busy schedule given how long he's been out and given his injury history that starting him on the bench made sense and i I don't think that him being out there would have prevented the defensive and midfield errors that led to those first two goals and run the revs down to nothing do let's change the question is he starting wednesday would you start him wednesday i think you got to at this point right i yeah. think what yeah. given the situation that the revs are in and the fact that he managed to go 45 minutes in the last game i think i think you have to start him wednesday there's just no like we said earlier no margin for error yeah um, I, I think you push him and and i think as i say at the start of the week you know if bo's calling for someone in minute 60 you know I think in the first game that might not be a good sign, but I think right now the situation has changed and the odds of them making the playoffs have dropped a little bit here. So I think you start Bo on Wednesday and if you can get a lead, maybe sub him out 65, 70 minutes and rest him for, for the next Sunday's game. But um, I think you definitely need three points. This has got to be a win. And I thought he looked good for 45 minutes. I mean, a little bit rusty, but it looked physically, he didn't look like he was, you know, holding back at all. So I, I, I think you got to start on Wednesday. And the, the one thing I will say, though, is, you know, if you look at how the Revolution played last year when they won the Supporters' Shield, this would have been a week where they would have rotated heavily on Wednesday and rest guys like Bowen and Carlos Hill to keep them healthy. Um, so, you know, that's the other unfortunate situation that they're in because if they've dug themselves into this hole. Um, you look at their long injury list, they got to start everyone that's available, their best players on Wednesday. And, you know, in doing so, they they risk getting guys more injured again. So it's it's the risk they have to take. But I think Bo has to start Wednesday. Agreed. Um, on that note, Anime Stoner also asked, how important are six points in the next two? We discussed this a little bit, but just just how important is it? Important. Um, you know, and actually, I want to give a quick shout out to uh, the Six Stars podcast because I listened to his podcast last week. And he kind of talked me off the ledge a little bit because I saw the LA Galaxy game as a must-have three-pointer. And so I was ready to hit the panic button. Uh, but on my drive back from New England, uh, I listened to it. And he kind of did note that a lot of these teams do play each other a little bit. I think his number to make the playoffs is 49. Um, he he kind of thinks there's going to be a lot of points dropped amongst the teams around the Revs. And so the Revs, even though it's not an easy schedule, um, he, he kind of made the argument that the Galaxy game was not as important as um, a lot of people made it out to be. I encourage you to go listen to his podcast from last week so you can hear it in his words. He's going to articulate a lot better than I will. But um in my opinion, I, I kind of feel like the Galaxy game was one that you just needed. We talked about it a little bit earlier. 
And, you know, uh, Chicago is an absolute must win. If you can't beat an inferior opponent at home in Chicago that really isn't playing for anything, that that says a lot about the team and that says a lot about where they are mentally mentally and and physically in terms of competing um you know if you can't beat chicago at home you're certainly not going to go on the road and beat philadelphia so um i think chicago both as a show me game uh and a what can you do in the playoff type of thing this has got to be a comfortable win i think the revs are opening up as like a plus 105 favorite so that's around a 50 50 chance that the odd makers are saying um the new york city fc game also important just for the standings, but also I, I want to see how this team plays against uh, an upper tier Eastern Conference team, um, and hopefully we get some starters back for that game. Hopefully we, uh, we get Brioni and Barrero. Um, yeah, I, I can't stress how important this stretch is because if you come away with three points, it's very demoralizing. Yeah, I think six points is absolutely crucial. And you mentioned Chicago. Chicago's they, they've lost three straight games. They lost two zero to Montreal at home. They lost two zero to New York City at home. They lost four to one in Philadelphia. Um, they're not playing very well right now. They actually had a chance, you know, before those three games where it looked like they could have turned their season around a bit and, and kind of made a run for the playoffs. But um, they should be very demoralized from the, the, the past three games. This is a game the Revolution absolutely have to have. If they don't get three points against Chicago, I think the season's over uh, as far as the playoffs go. Um, that's an absolute must win. And then I think you get to the New York City game, and you know, given they lost to Los Angeles, I think it's absolute that they got to get three points there as well. Um, but I, if, they, if they lose to Chicago, uh, there's it's it's tough to come back from that, both kind of mentally and, and points-wise. Um, Anime Stoner also, I got I to censor this one since we're a clean podcast. Are, are we effed? Not yet. But backing, building off of your point here, and this is going to answer another question we have. We might as well just cut to the chase because this is what the people want to hear, Sean. Where are we on the panic button level? I'm at like a 975. And I don't think we're going to be able to do a podcast following the Chicago game. Uh, unfortunately, our schedules don't really line up with it. But um, if they lose, we're hitting the panic button, uh, slamming it down. My hand is hovering over the button. I'm waiting to see how the Chicago game plays out. But... Yeah, I mean, for all the reasons we talked about with injuries and this team really needing to gel really, really fast, that's already pretty panicky. Uh, and and I, I'm, I'm holding off. I'm holding off a little bit just in the chances that the Galaxy game was a bit of a fluke and they're able to buckle down and they're able to get a result like they did in Orlando, like they did against Toronto a few weeks ago. Um, they, they have been kind of resilient and have been fighting and have been somewhat pleasantly surprising in some tough games. Uh, but this is an easy game that needs to be three. And if they don't, if they don't win three points, uh, we're slamming the panic button uh, on Wednesday. Yeah, that was Josh now that asked that question. I'm I'm in complete agreement. Although maybe I wouldn't be quite a nine point seven five yet. I'm I'm right around Sean, a nine. It's right there. We're <laughs> we're there, Sean. We're oh, there. I'm I am right I'm smashing I'm smashing the panic button with they lose. I was ready to smash the Chicago. panic button at the thirty minute mark. I said, well, let me just see how this game plays out. And Bo came on. And I feel a little bit better about Bo coming on and giving a good forty five minutes. But but I was talking with Sam Minton in the press box last night about hitting that panic button. It is concerning. Uh, it is it is concerning. If if we look somewhat shaky, even if they not just if they don't win, if they win ugly one to nothing, I might still hit the panic button. That's that's how important this. I want a statement win three nothing on Wednesday. Oh, and and uh, one of our listeners, Mr. Sneezy, is already hitting the panic button. He says for the first time this season, he's feeling like we aren't making the playoffs. So that's we got we got one panic button smashed. I don't blame <laughs> I don't blame you, Mr. Sneezy. Uh, one quick question about the Galaxy from Anime Stoner. He wants to know: Can we just take a moment to talk about the LA Galaxy lagging and wasting time? I think it might be a waste of time to talk about that. Uh, Chicharito, man, like, look, 
I understand gamesmanship and soccer. It, like I get time wasting and all that stuff. The amount of time he was on the ground for was not even a foul. I am embarrassed. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't understand how a grown man can, can roll around on the ground crying like that while his own team has the ball and is, is in the attacking area. Um, he is still, uh, you know, in crocodile tears over there on the sideline holding his knee and then he gets up and they have to do that whole act. And, you know, I'm glad the referee gave him a pointless yellow card just to kind of call him out on his BS. But, um, that was embarrassing. Uh, I'd be embarrassed if I was Chicharito. Um, that was, uh, yeah. So anyway, that's, that's it. I just want to call out, uh, Chicharito and, uh, and his manhood. So, uh, yeah, that, that's all I got to say on that <laughs> Just, just two points. One thing I do, you gotta give the referee credit. He gave eight minutes of stoppage time. So that's, that's what you gotta do when they're wasting time like that. Um, uh, I think the eight minutes was well-deserved. And then, uh, kind of hilarious that the galaxy like you said spent about a minute with the ball in possession with chicharito down hurt and then the revs got the ball and they were furious that the revs didn't kick it out so I, it, it, like i guess we can't talk a lot of trash because they won but um i mean really really embarrassing really uh really crazy and then vanny was mad at the eight minutes yep um he was mad at his team for not kicking the ball out he was he was arguing with the fourth official over the eight minutes um i, I don't understand I, I feel like for for that embarrassment it should have been two minutes uh, added on uh, for every minute Chicharito was down. That was that was very one of the worst displays I've seen probably this season. Well, and there was another length. I forget who it was, but there was another lengthy injury, I think, and, you know, LA Galaxy's own box for a while. That took up a lot of time, too, probably over a minute. So it doesn't surprise me. Eight minutes seemed right, given the injuries, the, the acting, the time wasting, and the fact that the Revs scored a goal in the half, too. Uh, I don't I don't know why there was such shock. About eight minutes, it seemed right. And maybe, maybe the shock was the fact that they usually don't give as many minutes as they should. Uh, and for this one, they finally did. Um, Brian Flaherty is a little bit more optimistic. He said, the, "I think the Revs just got unlucky. Too many missed shots or good saves by Bond. Plus, both Galaxy goals seem to be broken plays." Yeah, a little bit. And expected goals kind of show that. I don't have expected goals out in front of me. If you give me one minute, I can do it while we're pulling it up. But I think it was point nine five for the Galaxy. I think I think is what they finished at. <laughs> yeah, and what other. They had a one-on-one chance that Petrovic kind of dived to his his left and made the save. Um, there was kind of a near corner shot that he, he I think he, again he went to his left and made the save. Um, but they weren't really huge efforts. Petrovic really wasn't tested after that second goal too too much. Once the revs kind of tightened up a little bit, um, I, I will say I think we're talking about Kessler in a minute. The, the Kessler pulling down was it Chicharito that got in behind him? Um, potential red card there. I thought that was really really risky. Uh, and I. I thought that could have been a near disaster. Thankfully, Kessler got off with the yellow. But outside of that, there wasn't really a ton of Galaxy offense in this game. And we kind of talked about the chances the Revs had. Dewan hit in the post. Boateng had a chance. McCoon had a chance. Um, there were a couple of loose balls that just couldn't really find the foot of a Revs player. Um, yeah, there was certainly some bad luck in front of net for the Revs today. Um, there was certainly some poor finishing for the Revs today. Uh, and just some awful defending early in the game when they didn't seem to be fully awake and not really sure where to be. So really a, a combination of this three led to a pretty piss poor, frustrating game uh, and a pretty bad result. So agree with everything Brian said. Yep. I, I agree too. The, except I won't say I, the one thing that wasn't unlucky was just the terrible defending. That was just, <laughs> can't, you can't excuse luck for that. Um, you mentioned Kessler. I'll jump into that question. Revs fan 94 says, if that has the performance Kessler puts in after missing two games in Canada due to his choices, is it time to just put him in Revs two until the end of the season and deny his option? Obviously not giving his all and not willing to be part of this team. In my opinion, uh, Greg, before you jump into this one, I will just say that I think Kessler is still the best center back on the Revs, despite him having a very disappointing performance last night. Yeah, it was a bad game. And before his absence in Canada, 
Uh, he played really well. He made team of the week. Um, he's a very good competitor. I, I, in terms of his effort, I don't think he is lacking effort. I think she just had a bad game. Those happen. It's it's part of the process. You know, I, I, I don't think in terms of I, I and, and we're talking about this one comment specifically. I saw a lot of comments about trading him or moving on from him or, you know, what whatnot um, over his vaccine status. Um, I, I think you keep him. I, I think he's still a very, very good player. Uh, and I, I think if you're the team, you know, it is certainly disappointing that he's not able to play in Canada. Um, but even with that. Uh, he, he's a very, very talented player, and I, I don't, I don't think you should cut any player over a, a vaccine status. And, and full transparency, I am vaccinated. I, I I'm disappointed with uh, Kessler's decision, but you know, you, you don't have to support it. But I, I do think you do have to respect it. And I don't know his reasons. He has not commented on it, and that's his right to not comment on it. Um, but I, I think I've seen a lot of negative comments on Kessler, and a lot of people tagging him on Twitter. And, you know, even though it's, again, disappointing, um, I, I still would like to see a little bit more uh, respect Kessler's way because he is a competitor. Um, he is a very talented defender. Uh, he's a team player. Um, and you look around the sports world, there are some pretty horrific things that athletes are doing. Um, and, and I don't think this guy is the devil for not being vaccinated, even though, in my opinion, he, he should be. So I don't want to get too heavy into this issue because I'm sure we have listeners who agree with me uh, on the vaccine take and not on the vaccine take. And personally, I think we've kind of been trying to avoid this because we know it's a, a very controversial topic. Um, but, you know, it, for, I, I think people are being a little too harsh on Kessler. And um, while it's certainly disappointing, and I, I do think he's letting his team down when they go to Canada, um, I, I think the idea that we need to move on from Kessler and remove him from the organization um, is a little bit much. And, and I'll also say, I highly doubt he's the only person that is not vaccinated within the revolution organization. I'm, I'm, I think he's just the only unvaccinated player. So anyway, I don't want to get too heavy into it. I, I think everything I said there was fine. Hopefully we don't get too many angry tweets. Um, but um, no, I, I, I think Kessler just had a poor game and, and hopefully he's out there the next couple of games and he returns to his form. Right. And we don't know if he's the only player either. There could be other players in the team that some of the new guys that we just don't know because they haven't been here long enough to find that out. Um, but I, I agree with everything you just said. Um, the only thing I will add is that I do think the fact that, you know, he missed the past two games um, was part of the reason the chemistry wasn't there in this game because he didn't get the chance to kind of play with McCone and, and figure everything out there. And, you know, again, those are valuable opportunities to kind of build chemistry when, with, as I mentioned earlier, not a lot of time to do it. So, uh, unfortunate, but at the end of the day, he is still the revolution's best center back and the revolution need him if they're going to be successful. So I think the, uh, like you said, a lot of this stuff has been way over the top. Uh, uh, I, Sean, actually, I do want to just say one more thing, even if it's putting aside the Kessler thing, just in general, if you're going, you, you know, you can go to social media and trash players for whatever reason, just don't tag them. Just, I, I, I it's not just a Kessler thing either. Uh, every now and then I see tweets of people that just tag players and I, I, I wonder how big of a you really have to be just to tag players after they have a bad game uh, or, or, you know, they're struggling. They know. Uh, they know they, they sucked in a particular game or in a particular, particular performance uh, or they let the team down. So just in general, don't be an uh, when it comes to social media because it really does no benefit to the team. So anyway, that's just me on my soapbox. I just wanted to add that in before we moved on. I completely agree. And speaking of criticizing players, <laughs> Matthew Korsak says, I do not like McNamara. Please get him off the pitch. Um, he had more comments. He says, in other news, the team just goes backwards or sideways rather than going forwards and being creative. Just the thought I had. I would actually say that, 
these two comments that McNamara, uh, I thought was pretty creative in this one and actually showed some moves I'm not used to seeing from him, some step overs. And I, I, you know, I thought he had a decent game considering. Yeah. Yeah, he he played fine. I, I didn't I didn't think he was a detriment to the team, but I didn't think he was amazing. Uh, I believe did he have the assist on the goal? Yes, he did. To, yep. Yeah. So uh, another another not super amazing assists, but he, he gets in the stat sheet there. Um, I, I I think he's fine, and that's what McNamara brings. You can kind of move him around, um, and he's not going to be a star player, but um, he's not going to totally harm you. He's he's not the sexiest player though in the attacking midfield, and as I say. Do I want McNamara up there or would I rather have a Rivera or I'd certainly rather have a Rioni Bo, Brero, Heel, you know, I'd rather Botang. I'd, I'd rather have those guys as your attacking players. Legit. Um, and, and I'd, you know, McNamara, I still think is kind of more suited for uh, kind of the midfield area, you know, maybe pairing with Polster, although that at times has not really worked out. Um, I, I think he's just a utility player that you can kind of fit him in and, you know, hope for the best. And, you know, as I say, I, I, I I, there's a lot of anti-TMAC sentiment, but I, I didn't think he was the worst player on the pitch last night. No, I, I thought he was fine. And I, I, do I want to see him starting in that position? Uh, absolutely not. But that's <laughs> the product of who the Revolution are missing. Um, but I do, I do think if he was starting next to Polster in this game instead of McCoon, that the like I said earlier, I don't think those two goals happen. Um, and I'm still not sure he's not the best option to be starting next to Polster until the Revolution maybe signs somebody in the offseason. So I, I'm... I know he gets a lot, again, we've talked a lot about this. He gets a lot of heat that I don't think he deserves just because when you, you know, look on paper at the Revs' best 11 when everyone's healthy, you know, he's maybe the weakest name on that list. But um, he's puts in a very good, he's done a very good job for the Revs this season. He's been consistent, um, just not particularly flashy. Um, and I, like I said, I think if he's next to Pulsar, uh, the Revolution have a better result in this game. Mm-hmm. No, agree 100%. Um, Og says, does this team have the character required? And I'm assuming he means the character required to turn things around and make the playoffs. I don't know. And I question that as well. I'm leaning. No, I mean, I I feel like this team has underachieved all season long. They've dropped points left and right. We've had seven or eight wake up calls. It seems like in terms of this team having poor performances and not showing up in games that you want them to compete and fight and, uh, and this is another game that, you know, big crowd. I know LA Galaxy Revolution doesn't mean what it used to mean, but, you know, I'm sure this game meant something to Bruce facing his former team. Um, you're facing some star players. Again, things kind of lined up that this is not a team that's in form and you really got to take it to them and they kind of fell asleep. So I don't know what has changed between last year and this year, but there seems to be a bit of a switch where last year, if Hill was out for a month and I've seen people say like injuries, you know, there were no injuries last year. Turner missed time due to traveling. Uh, Kessler missed time. Buchanan missed time. Um, you know, Carlos Heel was out for a month. You know, they were missing key players last year and, and they still found ways to win uh, and, and scrap some goals together. And, you know, they, they really had a pretty flawless season. And it's kind of been the opposite this year where one little thing happens and it, it really kind of is a. Uh, balloons so i i'm not totally sure if this team has a i'll call it a championship mentality where they can overcome you know small little bumps or an injury here or an injury there certainly they have a ton of injuries and and they you know injury luck has been pretty extremely in the bad (laughs) direction for the revs this year but um i i don't know they they don't seem to be as tough mentally as they were last season 
Yeah, I agree. There's there's something different about this team this year, and on top of the injuries, um, where you know, like you mentioned, I, I do think that they got relatively lucky last year with injuries. When you look at you know how many minutes, uh, with the exception of Gustavo Bo, that their their star players were able to to play, and certainly a, a lot better than this year. Um, but at the same time, like you mentioned, when guys were out, and even in games where guys were healthy and they were able to you know rotate and play a very weakened eleven, they were still finding ways to get points, and they're just not doing that this season. Um, and, you know, once they gave up one goal in this game, it just unraveled it. Another goal happened instead of fixing that mistake from the second time. So, yeah, I don't know. I think it's a it's a fair question. And I guess we'll find out. It's a, it's a cop-out, but I guess we'll find out soon. Um, I think we'll learn a lot in the next two games um, because it's it's kind of do or die now. I think every game now is is vitally important. There's no more there's no more room for error whatsoever. And I, I do want to point out that I am well aware that five minutes after ranting about being nice to play on social media, I'm questioning their mentality. Uh, the point is I'm not tagging them in it and uh, sending them this clip. So uh, please don't tag players and send them this clip. Uh, we got a couple questions about the defense. We've talked a bit about it, um, but Phil Fleischer wants to know, or says the defense was clearly out of position many times and got caught. Uh, he was wondering if this was players going rogue, players trying to push up to cover other, cover for others, or a tactical strategy to press the ball upfield. Um, and James Downing also says, is our defense more of the four straight clean sheets good, or is it more snoozing against the Galaxy at home bad? So I guess a couple of different questions about the, the defense. Why were those mistakes happening? Um, and is the defense we saw in this game the real Revs defense, or is the defense of the four straight clean sheets? I'm leaning this was the real Revs defense. I'll take that one first. Um, just based on the sample of size of this season, it seems like there's just been more leaks and, you know, more, we talked about this at the beginning of the podcast, you know, just a lot of bad plays. Um, and you know, you can blame Omar Gonzalez for a handful of them, but taking them out of the lineup, there's still some snoozers. There's still some, a lot of penalties conceded. How many penalties have they conceded this year? Um, and we talk about the two goals, Henry Kessler missed a header. And pulled Chicharito down. It probably should have been a red card. I mean, if I'm if I'm a Galaxy, Galaxy fan, we're spending or if this is a Galaxy podcast, I'm spending five to ten minutes complaining that that wasn't a red card. That was a really dangerous and kind of reckless foul that Kessler was trying to cover up for. So, yeah, I mean, the mistakes outside of that one month, there there's one or two pretty big mistakes per game here, and I, I tend to think that that is the that that's the problem. Now, in terms of what specifically happened last night, it was such a mess. I'm not totally sure what happened. I, I'm guessing, as we've kind of talked about, this back line and McCoon just didn't really gel. McCoon was supposed to drop at certain points. But if this wasn't on McCoon, if it was, I think the second goal, Farrell doesn't drop back. Um, someone pointed out that Farrell, I think, was way on the right side um, on the first goal. And Kessler kind of had pinched more to the middle. And DeWan Jones didn't right, move back. You know, Jones, Kessler, Farrell, bye. That's been your back line for, what, three seasons now? So... I mean, these mistakes shouldn't be happening either way. So, um, again, I I would love to be a fly on the wall and, and see who exactly Bruce is yelling at and who didn't rotate or who didn't move where. But, I mean, it was just a pretty bad failure all across the back line. Um, yeah. Anyway, I'm, I'm tired of talking about it. <laughs> no, it was, pretty, it was pretty clear that there was, you know, players didn't know where they were supposed to be or who was supposed to be doing what. And at the end of the day, that falls on, on Bruce um, this last game. So I, I, I think... Again, we talked about, I think McCoon has played very little defensive midfield the past several years and to kind of throw him into that situation um, without that much of an opportunity to do so is, was taking the risk. Um, and they paid for it. Nobody nobody knew where he was supposed to be. Um, and it really came back to bite the revs in this one. 
you know, again, I don't, I don't think he's played defensive midfield in MLS other than that short stint he had for the revolution off the bench or maybe some other bench appearances before. So to, to throw a young guy that hadn't played there in a few years in that situation, um, it shouldn't be unexpected that that stuff happens. But that's that's why you needed to have your roster ready uh, in preseason to, to learn these things, not learning it at the very end of the season where every point is crucially important. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't think it was players going rogue. I think it was just a lack of understanding of what everyone was supposed to be doing. The shape of the revolution in, in this game was, was very weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'd have to sit down and really watch some through And again, I, I know I plug six stars. Uh, he, he does a little more tactical stuff. Um, maybe he'll tackle this one a little bit more in depth and, and give this a rewatch and, uh, kind of go down to who specifically didn't rotate where, but McCoon and Farrell seem to be two guys that didn't seem to be in the right spot. And as I say, Feldman mentioned Dewan Jones last night was being too too high up the pitch. Um, it seems like Bruce wanted wingbacks pinched up. So, you know, I'm glad you mentioned Bruce, too. Tactically, this was a failure as well. Um, yeah, bad all around. There, there was a lot of times, especially after the Revs were down, where it looked like they were pushing by very far up the right wing, um, using kind of by and Boateng as the wingers and almost playing with a three-man backline of, of Jones, Kessler, and Farrell for a lot, of, a lot of times in the second half when they were attacking. I thought that was... That was interesting, but if that was the kind of the plan from the beginning, then there does need to be a lot of questions about how Jones was playing. Um, and again, I think on that first goal, McCoon kind of played as a defensive midfielder that thought he had defenders behind him because there weren't a lot of guys. I don't think there was anyone really behind him, so he, he kind of let the one runner go, expecting there to be defenders behind him, presumably, and then pressed up on the ball to try to put pressure on that, and nobody picked up the runner. So I don't know if that's on McCoon or if that's in the defense, but it just all around was a kind of a failure of communication and failure of expectations of what guys are going to do. Um, and at the end of the day, I think that's, again, on Bruce. Uh, but <laughs> who knows? Um, mm-hmm. James Downing had one more question. He wants to know, what the heck is John Brooks doing? Uh, I do not know what John Brooks is doing other than guaranteeing he's not going to be on that plane to Qatar by not finding a team to play for. Have you heard anything? No. Wasn't he supposed to be signing with a team in Saudi Arabia? That was the rumor, but it doesn't seem like that at least officially happened yet. So so something is – there's something that the general public doesn't know about John Brooks at this point. I I have to assume – I mean I'm not the biggest – United States men's national team fan um, in the world. And I know that he had that hubbub with uh, Burhalter and, and kind of fell out of favor with him and wasn't called into a couple camps or whatever. Um, s- something has happened with John Brooks that I think the general public does not know about, whether it's a physical thing, uh, whether he's done something that has not come to light, uh, whether he, he's just kind of a dick. Uh, I, I don't know, but I cannot explain to you why John Brooks is a free agent in a World Cup year Unless he has just like the world's worst agent, I I cannot explain um, why he is sitting at home. And I can't imagine, I, I don't understand why a team in MLS isn't jumping at this chance. Maybe he signs within a week, but uh, I, I feel like someone out there has to want a defender that doesn't take up an international roster spot. Even if you could just sign him for a rest of season contract, um, you know, a, a playoff team wouldn't necessarily need to sign him. I think that would create a little bit of buzz. Um, you know, if you're, a low budget team and, and, you know, a six month contract isn't risky at all. So, um, I don't know. I, I cannot give you a real reason to, um, what John Brooks is doing unless he's, you know, just like Kyler Murray and just sits at home and plays Call of Duty all day. I, I cannot <laughs> explain to you what's going on there. I mean, my, my only theory is that he was making a lot of money in Germany and that nobody's willing to pay him that salary anymore. But he's still holding out hope that he'll get it somewhere. But the, the, the longer time goes on, probably the less likely he is to get it unless, you know, some team in the Bundesliga or something has a, a, a an injury to one of their center backs and gets desperate. But uh, MLS roster freeze is September 2nd. So if he uh, misses that date, um, MLS is no longer an option 
And you know, I, I don't I don't know. It's 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 shocking. But my my theory is that he's trying to get more money than he's going to get, and it's costing him uh, playing being the ability to play anywhere and any chance he had of of going to Qatar. But you know, you talk about signing a six months contract. Uh, I don't see him coming to the Revolution, but I think he would instantly be the Revs' best defender if they did sign him. Um, and could certainly change their fortunes a bit. So, yeah, even a six-month contract or four-month or whatever it would be at this point um, for some team just to give them playing time going into the World Cup and give them the, the tiniest sliver of hope of getting back in Craig Burhalter's good graces um, would make a lot of sense. But it's just, it's bizarre to me that he hasn't found a team because he's a good player. Uh, Alex Dolan asks, on a scale of 1 to 10, how solid was the performance by the team ops member who made the tackle? Because I think he was man of the match. And for context there, um, after Chicharito scored his goal, some guy jumped from the stands. I didn't see him leave the, the stands, but some guy jumped from the stands and ran in and kind of hugged everybody in the celebration. Um, I didn't see the tackle. Um, but I will say, I think uh, man of the match was Alex Dolan for getting fantastic pictures of what happened uh, <laughs> in that situation. Yeah, this is a great way of Alex Dolan to uh, ask a question, which will inevitably lead to us just talking about his photo, which is great. Uh, you should be following Alex Dolan on Instagram and on Twitter, uh, photographer for the Bent Musket. Um, he had, was, was right in perfect position uh, for uh, this fan getting tackled and thrown to the ground. Um, and, and we were up in the press box. We kind of caught the tail end of it. Um, and, and I don't think the broadcast – I think the broadcast caught him running into the scrum, uh, but not necessarily the tackle. So I, I kind of saw – this tackle from uh, Dolan's photos, but um, not not a great performance from Gillette Stadium security there. Uh, clearly a gap uh, in the coverage there for that guy to get onto the field. Thankfully, he was just trying to hug Chicharito. Uh, but uh, yeah, not uh, both the, the back line and Gillette Stadium security really letting guys get in behind them way too easily. <laughs> I mean, there was a lot of... I got I, one thing I got to say is there was a lot of unfortunate incidents in the stands of people throwing crap on the field and uh, the guy running onto the end of the game. It was that was very disappointing because it, usually that stuff doesn't happen at Gillette, but uh, a lot of frustration and it did happen in this game. So that was, that was disappointing to see. Um, but yeah, stick to the wave, people. Stick to the wave. <laughs> Gustavo Lopes' favorite uh, thing in the world: the wave. <laughs> All right, that is it for questions. We did have one news item that we certainly should bring up. Matt Polster signed a contract extension uh, guaranteed through 2024, plus a one-year club option after that. Um, we don't know the salary unless, unless you've heard anything, but uh, it's hard to look at this, but anything but good news, right? With Matt Polster and his contributions to the revolution, I think he's kind of been one of the more underrated defensive midfielders in MLS, um, even if you could say maybe this season hasn't been as good for him as last year was. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I think he's taken a step back this season. I, I think I saw some people complaining that they didn't like the signing. Um, I, I don't know about that one. Uh, this is similar to the McNamara deal. McNamara had a team option for 2023. So did Matt Polster. Um, this is a two-year contract extension with a one-year option. So some people are reading this as two or three years. Realistically, the Revs were going to you know, exercise the option on McNamara and Polster. So likely what happened here is that the Revs are already committing 2023 to Polster. You sign a two-year contract to him. It's really a one-year contract. You're really extending his contract out from 2023 to 2024. So uh, they're extending him out for basically another year and gaining uh, a year of team control for 2025. So this seems to be a pretty low-risk contract. A little surprised Polster signed it. Um, I think with TMAC, we kind of assume he is going to be on the same money. I wouldn't be shocked if TMAC gets a bit of a bump in pay, although he's already at 325 salary, 353 in total compensation. Um, TMAC is 
what 150 157 i think hang on let me give him one second i thought he was 200 something at this point Two, 240 240 yeah. so um i think t-mac is probably going to stay in that range which is what you kind of expect for a fringe starter um rotation player polster kind of your everyday starter that 325 350 is kind of where starter money is maybe he gets a bit of a bump in pay um just because the revs aren't committing a ton of years to him and i believe he's already what 28 29 29 yeah turned 29, 29. in june so um, they're, they're really not locking into him too far into his 30s. As I say, uh, they've committed to his age 31 season, um, but that's about it. Uh, they, they could easily decline that uh, uh, 2025 option. So um, I, I see this as a pretty low-risk move. Again, we don't know money. If, he, if it comes out he's making 600000 next year, uh, I feel differently about it. Um, but um, I, I think this is probably just extending him and, and holding on to him a few more years. And um, I, I think this is a good move overall. And – we again this is a little bit further down the road but when we're going to get to contract decisions um i have a few names of people that i expect to leave or move on and i previously had matt polster as a big name circled as a potential trade candidate going into a contract year so uh, i i think we can cross that one out and polster seems to be here to stay and um you know i i think that's a very very good move uh because he's certainly very valuable in that midfield right now I mean, there's nobody else on the team that can play defensive midfield the way he can and with the effectiveness that he can, or even close. So, you know, I, I we've talked a lot about the revolution should get somebody else that can kind of give him a rest or play next to him, but that's of a higher quality than who they have now. Um, but if they were losing Matt Pulsar, they'd be in an even worse situation. So I think it's a, a kind of a no-brainer to extend him through a couple seasons. It's great for the revolution that he wants to stay. Um, I know he just had a kid, so it's good good that he wants to be in the Boston area and, and stay here. Um, but I, I can't say any negative to it unless, like you said, there's some massive salary increase. And I wouldn't be surprised if there is a little bit of a salary increase if he's in the, the 400 thousands. I think that's uh, perfectly fair and probably more reflective of his value to the team. But if he's, you know, doubling or tripling his salary, then maybe the, uh, the math there looks a little bit different. Um, I think that was it for news. I think you covered the, the Nacho Hill signing on the last podcast. Is there anything else we should we should discuss or any final thoughts? Did we want to talk about the changes in MLS next pro and the protected list that academies are going to have or is that too too di- too deep into the weeds i feel i feel like that's a, a conversation for its own podcast <laughs> <laughs> well i'll give it i'll give it the 60 second uh update which is that there are some changes to the rules for academies where currently the way the rules are is that young youth players uh there's homegrown territories where basically teams have a stake in any youth player that comes up. And there are a few instances of teams that try to acquire a player, uh, a teenager that isn't in an academy, and it leads to a bit of a dispute between teams. Um, I think Caden Clark is, Clark is, is probably the, the most high-profile name where he – I don't think Minnesota even had an academy. Uh, and then he signs with New York Red Bulls, and Red Bulls had to pay Minnesota compensation. Uh, so that, that rule is really silly that – MLS has all the rights to anyone in their local area. And now essentially what they are changing it up to be is the, I think it's 54 players. uh, And some of these slots are based on age, but they can protect 45 players within their own academy and then nine players outside of their academy. So the elite prospects in a regional area are still going to be protected. Um, And, but if you're not on this protected list, if you're within the academy, you can go to another team or another academy in that, new team will have to pay the old team a fee. And if you're not in the academy and not protected, you can sign with any team in MLS regardless. So um, I I think it's a step in the right direction. Uh, I still think that young players should have a little bit more mobility. Um, I still think, you know, 54 players is a lot. 
you know, there there aren't going to be 54 players coming out of an academy and starting first team. Uh, and I, I think there are going to be some youth players that might have players ahead of them in their own academy uh, and, and would be able to make an impact somewhere else. Uh, but, you know, they're stuck there. So uh, I, I still think the rules are a bit weird and a bit crazy and but it's a step in the right direction. And I think it's worth noting on this podcast that uh, MLS homegrown rules are moving in the right direction, even if they're not completely there yet. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It's a, it's definitely a step in the right direction. I don't want to spend too much time on it because I think we could spend all day on it, but um, it's nice to see that, you know, it's less about, Hey, just because this guy happened to be living in this region, this team can kind of stop him from going to any other MLS team. I think that was, that was a bit ridiculous. So it's nice to see a little bit of limitation on that. No, agree a hundred percent. But that's, that's about it for me in terms of uh, final thoughts. I just hope the revs can kind of come out really impressed against Chicago and, and, give a really solid performance. We haven't had too many comfortable wins. Uh, and I, I, as I say, I, I think this is probably the easiest game remaining on the schedule. So unfortunately we don't have a podcast Wednesday, but if the revs win comfortably, uh, we praise everyone. If they draw or lose, we're very angry. And if they get by barely with a one goal lead, uh, I'm still very, very skeptical of this team and I'm hitting the panic button and yeah, that's about it. So that's our podcast Wednesday. And Greg, where can people follow you on social media? You can follow me at the real G Johnstone uh, on Twitter. Um, I don't really talk much about soccer because I tweet from the Revolution Recap account, uh, but I do constantly tweet Simpsons references uh, and quotes from I Think You Should Leave with Tim Robinson. And you can follow me at Sean L. Donahue. And as Greg mentioned, you can follow the podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Revolution Recap. You can also find us on iTunes and Spotify. Please rate and review us there or wherever else you listen to podcasts. And be sure to check out our good friends at The Bent Musket. Always good content there. They will have you covered on Wednesday when we do not do a podcast. And with that, we'll see you next weekend. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.